Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Got Mental Health Podcast. I am your co-host, Rachel Cove. I am the owner of Transformational Solutions, a life coaching business that specializes in addiction, trauma, and self-destructive behaviors. I'm an author, podcast host, group facilitator, speaker, and co-creator of the online eight-week self-development course, The Visions Program. I'm your co-host, Arthur Mogilevsky, a business entrepreneur, dad, animal activist, and owner of AM Healthcare. California's leading dual diagnosis and mental health treatment centers, focusing on comprehensive and immersive treatment experiences with a network of facilities and dedicated professionals committed to providing each and every client the intimacy of care they so richly deserve. This is the Got Mental Health Podcast, a fun, open, and safe space where we talk to experts, thought leaders, and professionals in the mental health field. Our goal is to educate, inspire, and empower people to take care of their mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Join us weekly to hear Arthur talk like this as we talk all things mental health. Follow us wherever you go to get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review as it really supports our show. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks, guys. And keep listening to Arthur. (laughs) Welcome to the Got Mental Health Podcast. My name is Arthur Mogilevsky. I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Rachel Kov. Kov. Whatever. Uh, we are privileged today to have on our show Mr. Joe Tabanilla. Welcome to the Got Mental Health Podcast. <laughs> Thank Yay. you for having me. Hi. Joe is a hypnosis instructor at Hypnosis Motivation Institute, the first accredited college of hypnotherapy, as well as a trainer of neurolinguistic programming and mental and emotional release. He teaches classes in biofeedback, its correlation to hypnotherapy, as well as a practical approach to what is referred to as the law of attraction. Joe is certified clinical hypnotherapist and has an AOS degree in mind, body, psychology. Joe graduated with honors and was awarded the HMI Clinical Achievement Award for Outstanding Accomplishment during clinical residency. He also holds certifications in brain spotting and open focus and trained in HRV at HeartMath Institute. Joe is also a group facilitator and hypnotherapist at Milestones Ranch Malibu, a dual diagnosis treatment center. Joe offers private sessions at his office in Woodland Hills, travels to teach seminars and workshops, and has been interviewed on podcasts as well as being featured on Bravo and Lifetime. He is also the co-creator of Possible, an app designed to help release negative emotions, reprogram limiting beliefs, and construct a positive future version of oneself. He is also the co-author of several children's books designed to help children access the resources they need to overcome common developmental changes. Joe focuses on educating and empowering his clients to develop rapport with their subconscious mind, helping them to achieve their goals and live the life they desire. Welcome, Joe. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring you onto the show today is because I don't know any other person that understands emotions the way that you understand emotions. And I was reading a book recently, and there was a neuroscientist from NYU that said there are as many theories on emotions as there are theorists. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to start with this question. What is an emotion? I don't know. <laughs> great, great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, if, you, if you take it a re- first and foremost, a reductionist point of view, if you look at the, let's just look at the body for a moment, right? And there, there are basically two axes that represent all states of being, emotional states of being. One is the arousal response or the autonomic nervous system. So on that axis, 
let's just say it's a vertical axis, you have at the bottom very rest, uh, rest and digest, very low arousal state. Think the lion and the Serengeti, and the tail is wagging, it's not hungry, not horny, not thirsty. Not horny, that sucks. Yeah, it's, it's satisfied. <laughs> and so now we're in parasympathetic. That's where digestion kicks in, immune system kicks in. And so we're, we don't have a problem with the world. That's why you can close your eyes when you're in that state and your brain will go into alpha waves, which, especially if they're synchronized, gives you a sense that you're one with everything. So if you're one with everything, there's no reason to worry about the external world. So mm -hmm. that's the parasympathetic. Then there's the sympathetic arousal, in the brain, it's called beta waves. In the body, it's just heartbeat, muscle tension, skin, uh, sweat glands, and um, temperature changes in the finger, right? In the fingers. And so when you're in a, an arousal state, you're concerned about the external world. And that's on a continuum. You could be in major fight flight, or you can just have to go to the restroom or deal with something in the kitchen, right? So that's that axis. It's not negative or positive as far as mood, it's just energy. Now, on the, the other axis, the horizontal axis, you have mood. These are hormones, stress hormones, oxytocin, things like this, right, the, the, where it creates a mood. So at any given moment, we can be in one of these four quadrants. Is mood and emotion the same thing? In a sense, we start to give these, this pattern a meaning. For example, I have pro-inflammatory chemistry, and I have high arousal. So I have a negative mood, high arousal. What might you call that? I have a negative mood, high arousal. High energy. Manic, mania. Right, but sometimes mania can be positive, yes? So if it's high and negative mood. Anger. Anger. Fear. Fear, anxiety, exactly. Mm -hmm. I could have a low arousal and a negative mood. Pro-inflammatory chemistry. What might I call that? Low arousal, negative mood. Depression? Exactly. Or mm -hmm. apathy. And if it's medium, what I might what might I call that? For those of you in recovery, you'll hear um, the term, this will take you out. So if you're at a medium arousal, not too high, not too low, but negative mood, what might that be? Well, I don't know exactly, but is it boredom? That could be. That's usually suppressed emotion, but yeah, that'd be one of them. So if you're at a medium arousal, so it's not too high, not too low, and you're at a very negative mood, what might you call that? If I'm at a medium, what? Say that again. Medium arousal. Medium. So you're not manic, you're not fight or flight, you know, but you're not low arousal, but you're just, I'll give you a hint. Frustrated? Yeah, frustration, Upset. resentment. Resentment. Okay. That's right, resentment is very So we're important. dealing with high arousal and low arousal. And mood. So now you can have a positive mood and high arousal. What would you call that? Happy. Excited. 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 Passion. Passionate. Outstanding. Right. You could have a low arousal mood. I mean, low arousal with a happy mood. What would you call that? Low arousal with a happy I feel like I'm in class. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it. Think about it. You're in a low arousal and you're in content. a wonderful content, serenity, right. peace. Right? So is that an emotion? Well, these are states of being. Mm. And that's all that's happening in our system. We have either autonomic nervous system or hormonal system, endocrine system, right? So you're having these sensations that we start to label depression. But this is why phobias can start and why someone going through a hormonal cycle, for <laughs> example, can confuse the hormonal cycle with depression because what's a hormonal cycle? Low arousal, pro-inflammatory chemistry, and it feels like I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. Or let's say 
this is how some phobia started. It's like coupling, right? So let's say I'm, um, I forgot to eat the night before a vacation because I partied all night, drank all night, let's say. Mm -hmm. And the next morning, I don't eat breakfast. I forget about breakfast. I'm late for the airport. I get to the airport. I have three cups of coffee, and I get on the airplane. So my nervous system, because I'm hungry, is going into high negative arousal to say you need to do something, mm -hmm. hopefully go into a positive craving, dopamine, right, mm. towards food. That's what, it, that's what it does. It tries to balance out the mood, saying there's a problem, there's got to be a solution, and when we see the solution, we get excited. It's called motivation. Right, mm -hmm. right because I feel like a lot of people think that dopamine is just the reward system, but dopamine also creates motivation to get the reward. Exactly. It's, it's more about getting the reward than it is about the reward, reward itself. itself. Right. right. So now I'm excited. I mean, now I'm uncomfortable. I'm on the, I'm on the airplane. And what does that feel like? Anxiety, right? High arousal, uncomfortable. And suddenly the airplane starts taking off. And suddenly my brain connects this potential problem, something happening with this airplane, mm -hmm. to the state of being that I'm in. And now I'm connecting, I've associated and conflated airplane with this state. So now I have a phobia. Wow, that's fascinating. And when people have anxiety, what they wind up doing, having a phobia around their own nervous system, autonomic nervous system. Mm. So they're so afraid of their autonomic nervous system that that becomes the phobia, the problem, not outside, but now inside. And this is why sometimes all these techniques, these breathing techniques and the mm -hmm. tapping techniques mm -hmm. to bring down arousal works. But if you don't reframe it correctly, and you're trying to get rid of the arousal rather than devalue it and disengage from it, it will actually reinforce that this problem was a problem because when you got rid of it, you felt better and it comes back again. It reaffirms that every time you did something, you got rid of this negative emotion, then now you crave that thing, that desire to remove the emotion. But all it was was emotions trying to discharge and be devalued. As so soon as we sensitize ourselves to it, we, bec we have now a phobia of the experience inside rather than the tiger outside. So what you're pretty much saying is anybody who has a phobia of planes just didn't have dinner the night before. <laughs> <laughs> Can we correlate that? No. It's <laughs> one, one but, of many but, reasons. But to break it down, in essence, what you're saying is that you're attributing, let's say, a fear or an, an anxious experience to something that's larger, but it can be connected to something that's much different. Exactly. For example, oftentimes when I first started this work and I'd work with airplane phobias, you know, you make an assumption, you project, oh, you're afraid of the airplane going down. Right. No. One person might be, I was in a car accident, I was trapped in the car, and every time I'm in that pattern, my brain remembers that pattern right. of being trapped and not being able to get out for eight hours or four hours. It, the brain remembers this is that moment we never mastered. How is the brain remembering it? Is it remembering it because of a of familiar stimulus? Yes, the pattern recognition, yeah. And the pattern recognition, can you explain that? Yeah, so this is the best way I, I found to pre-frame emotions, whether it be anxiety or even um, intense emotions like um, a phobia or, or trauma, which is, if we, it's incremental successive learning. So think about children, right? There are some children that they, they're in the circus playing with fire and swords when they're, you know, two years old, mm -hmm. playing with crocodiles if they're in a family that are crocodile wranglers, you know? Yeah. Right? So if you take a baby and you throw it up in the air about six inches, 
You'll see this arousal response, this fear falling, but they'll adapt to it because it's only six inches. It's not too intense for the nervous system to deal with, right? right? So then you can throw that baby up a foot, up in the air, and they'll get used to that. And then you can eventually throw that baby up 10 feet up in the air, and they'll be fine. They'll love it mm. because they incrementally sure. adjusted to the, the arousal response to the stimulus called falling, right? But if you take a baby the first time, you throw that baby 10 feet up in the air, it's too much. And now they have a connection to falling or heights as a phobia. That's why if I was ever going to open up an amusement park, I would have 10 roller coasters. One, just about five feet high. Another one, six feet, 10 feet, 20 feet. So children can work up to that. Because I did this with my son. I took him on this, ro uh, this uh, roller coaster. It was, a, it was a water flume. So my mind at that time, I didn't think it was a big deal. It was a water flume, right? Mm -hmm. So I take him, and he was fine, so he had no fear of that yet. Mm -hmm. So we're on this water flume, and, and um, suddenly we're at the drop, and I realize how high we are. And he doesn't feel it. He's fine because he has no fear of heights yet. Sure. So then we start falling down that water flume. It's too much for the nervous system to handle, to get a handle on it. And so now the brain remembers heights and falling as something that we haven't mastered. Right. So now it gets frozen in the subconscious as something to avoid mm. and to worry about because it w the emotion never got discharged and incrementally reintegrated into the system in the face of that stimulus. So I have a, qu I have a question, actually. Yeah. Are there situations where obviously certain children um, can handle various levels of stress or anxiety in similar situations, right? Where you have one kid who needs to be gradually kind of taken through that process of heights and fear, and then you have ones that just, you throw them up and they get excited and they love it. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, what, what I found, um, and it's not just what I found, basically um, there are two components, maybe three, four, or five, but let's just say two basic components. One is the, physiological predisposition of that child. Are they born spirited or anxious, mm. right? Then you have- You really think children can be born anxious? Oh, absolutely, yeah. anxious or spirited. But do you th does any of that have to do with the mother? It could be a biological predisposition, a, a physiological predisposition. It could have taken it something on in utero, stress hormones, and to, to be concerned about the world. And yeah. how much of that can be changed with nature and nurture? Well, again, this is that process of learning to bring conscious awareness to an intense emotional experience slowly, incrementally, until you've integrated that experience in the body and you're no longer afraid of the experience. So Can you just say that again? Because that is a solution for all of the listeners that are listening to this episode on how to approach emotions when you get emotionally activated. So say that again, please. Uh, I forgot what I just said. Uh, <laughs> You're um, talking about bringing conscious awareness. Oh, okay. But let me answer, let me get to the second point. Sorry. One is a physiological predisposition, and the other one it has a lot to do with neurobiological attunement with the mom and that mm. baby, right? Mm. And so if that baby feels that it can be disrupted, the hunger, cold, overstimulation, understimulation, be left in the room, mm -hmm. and when that rupture happens, that mother can come in and soothe that child. Mm. That child starts to be master those moments. Right. It, it becomes more emotionally resilient, right? right? And through osmosis, when that child has its own frontal lobes, now it's doing to itself what the mom was able to do to the child. Right? Wow. 
if the child winds up getting dysregulated because mom's dysregulated, now the child has to regulate mom's nervous system sure. rather than have mom regulate the child. So now the child, every time they are nervous, they have to fix people or change things in order to feel safe, right? So there's, I forgot where I read this. It might have been um, Body Keeps the Score, but I don't remember. But there was some research that shows that women in New York whose parents were, or moms, I believe, it could have been parents, were in the Holocaust, like were, were in the uh, concentration camps. Mm -hmm. They were more likely to get PTSD after being uh, sexually attacked when they were 15 or 16, as opposed to those who didn't. And the, the basic idea was, unless you think about genetically being hand, handed down trauma genetically, the idea was the mother had PTSD, couldn't really regulate the child, had mm -hmm. her own problems. So that child's nervous system wasn't able to develop in a way that can handle these shocking experiences in life. Right. And that's why some Marines will get PTSD and some won't. That's the idea behind that, and some researchers believe. Just because you go through a traumatic experience that we can generally conclude to, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll struggle with that. It's also your predisposition, right. the way that you were raised, where your parents were from, and their history. Right, and unprocessed emotional events as well. So that's why someone can get PTSD when someone looks at them the wrong way. So I want to give hope to obviously people and, you know, because I've had uh, a couple of friends who've, who have had children and their children were immediately taken to the NICU, right? And so they didn't have that connection to their child. And it's like, is this something that can be developed? Is, what, what type of awareness should parents have um, with such a difficult situation? So those are two questions. You want yeah. to get that one first? Yeah, let's get Rachel's first. Okay. Yeah. So I find one of the most important things is for people to understand emotion. What I get in my, in my um, sessions a lot is people will say, well, if I'm comfortable and I'm not reactive, that means I'm okay with the situation, mm -hmm. right? A and um, so they believe that when someone says something to them or does something to them, that their emotions are created by that person. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they feel like they're the same, they conflate it, the reason for this is because when that first stimulus of criticism, someone laughing at us, someone dismissing us, first happened, that nervous system said, what do we do with this? It was supposed to come and go back to baseline, and now we're supposed to be comfortable with this stimulus. Do I run? Do I avoid it? Do I apologize? Do I explain something? Do I get more information? Do I take action? Do I learn something, right? That's what it was supposed to do. So now I can be in a world where there's a fireplace and sleep by a fireplace or go on a roller coaster, whatever it is, right? If that moment isn't mastered, I don't come back down. Mm -hmm. Now, every time something out there triggers me with therapist, a psychologist called locus of control. The, I have to control the external world to, to have some control rather than my inner world. But so now anytime that look, that thing happens outside, right, it triggers something inside. It's because I haven't mastered it. I'm not supposed to have the negative emotion. The neg negative emotion was trying to figure out what to do with the situation. So I don't need the emotion anymore because ultimately at the purest form, fundamentally, the emotion is to run or fight. Mm -hmm. Right? If I can't run a fight, then I have to do something. So this is the process I like to take people through when it comes to these emotions. And then we'll talk about the yeah. parenting aspect yeah. of it. So first thing, I do, I'll tell you what I do with myself when I get triggered. First thing I do is say, I'm triggered. My heart's pounding. That's my brainstem saying, hey, we got to run our fight. It's a very primitive system. Right? So the first thing I say to myself, even though my heart's pounding and I want to you know, punch this person in the face or run away, right? 
can I run or fight to deal with this situation? Is running or fighting appropriate right now? Am I going to beat up my boss for criticizing me? No. Am I going to run away? No. Okay. So I can't run or fight. That's what this is doing. It's an alarm saying, what do we do? That's all it's doing. Do I send blood to the legs to run? Or do I send blood to the arms to fight? What do we do? And that's the alarm. That's the anxiety. That's the alarm. All right? Once it goes into fighting or, or, or running or fighting, it's actually no longer fear. It's powerful adrenaline. It's always been adrenaline, but now it's power because you feel empowered. You run for your life or you beat that person up and you feel, some people get addicted to that. They feel, you know, sure. um, exhilarated. So if I can't do that, then what I have to do is accept something I can't control because that's why it's pounding, my heart's pounding and the blood is moving and adrenaline's kicking in. I'm trying to stop something I can't control, right? Mm -hmm. uh, run away or fight. I can't. So now I have to tell the brain, I'm willing to accept this. Accepting doesn't mean you like it. That's where people go off. Acceptance doesn't mean you like something. It just means, what, I'm, what am I willing to accept that I can't control so at least I could be in my body and still not like the situation? I still may have to take action. I still may have to deal with something, but I'm no longer in a fight-flight situation. And my, to my mind, I think on a brain scan, you would find something happening as soon as you do that, which is the blood goes from muscles, heartbeat, up into the frontal lobes as new behaviors. Mm. Acceptance behaviors, learning behaviors, uh, action behaviors. Example, you are mad at me, right? I feel my heart pounding. So you're mad at me because you're defending something. Mm -hmm. To me, it doesn't look like a defense. It looks like an attack. You're triggering the memory of attack of my dad, which is saying I can't run or fight. Now, if I'm predispositioned to fight back, then I'll be oppositional defiant and kid with an attitude. Right. If I'm um, more sensitive, I might shut down, right? So now that's what I do every time I get triggered. Does that make sense so yeah. far? Right. So I think I'm controlling my situation because I beat you up, dad, or I, you know, I, I fought back and we made up, or I ran away and I avoided the situation. So it seems like it's working. So I have the emotion, I control my environment with the adaptations, right? And then it works. Like, I'm alive the next morning. It seems like it works. It's like on an airplane. You have a phobia, and you pray, and then it lands. Your body goes, it must have worked, because we're alive. Right. It never occurred to us that we could have just relaxed, and we would have landed anyway, because that's what it's saying. It's saying, if you're still afraid, and there's a problem, and the solution is taken care of, you're okay. So that must have been a real problem, and your solution must have been a real solution because you woke up the next morning, and it's, the problem seemed to go away. Someone's not mad at you anymore, or at least you're waking up and you forgot about it. Right. So in that moment, I have an opportunity to reprogram and reprocess what I didn't master at 4, 2, 7, 8, 9, 12. So yeah. when you say master, are you saying is that like to neutralize yes. the experience? Yes, to know how to be in the world with a neutral state of being, because I know the rules. And that's what the example I was going to get to. So let's say I'm in a relationship, and the person, and I'm the, uh, let's say not the avoidant, but let's say the other person is uh, more anxious and more accusatory in their behavior when they're anxious. I'm going to feel like, oh, mom's mad at me. I'm in trouble. Like, you're cheating on me because he looked <laughs> at your phone. Exactly, that right. kind of thing, right. So now my heart is pounding. And what I have to realize right there and then is that all I'm experiencing is a memory that I couldn't run or fight with. And I, instead of processing and mastering it, I shoved it down, dissociated from it, and now it becomes an unconscious pattern that keeps attracting right. repetition compulsion. It keeps trying to attract the situation. So now I have an opportunity. 
that's not always easy because if it happens at a very young age, it's intense emotion. But it's the same basic idea and principle, which is first thing I need to do is say, do I need to run or fight to deal with this experience right now? And now I have to, instead of be afraid of the emotion, welcome the emotion as I'm devaluing you. Mm. Because you're not needed to run or fight right now. And so once I accept what I can't control is, which is what? Some people will get mad for no reason even when I'm not doing anything. Right. right. Okay, great. Now I'm relaxed. I get relaxed. I get comfortable. It still stinks, but now I can change. All the blood goes up here. Now I can change what I didn't have the ability to change at for because I didn't have the bandwidth to process the emotion. Now, what can I do to change it? Now, I have four options. I could explain myself, mm -hmm. I can reassure, I can apologize, you know, you're right, that was screwed up, and I can make amends. What do I need to do to fix this? But I can't do any of these four unless I'm willing to accept, therefore process, therefore release, the stress hormones around accepting the fact that some people, no matter what you do, are just going to hold resentment and anger and mm -hmm. displacement. And now I can be comfortable in a world which I wasn't able to be comfortable in, I didn't master, with a mom that was always angry. Oh, I can be comfortable, I can be compassionate, I can be cute, I can apologize, I can try and fix it. But now I'm accepting the fact so my nervous system can relax. Why does it relax? Because if I accept the fact that I can't change you, then my nervous system's not trying to stop something, like to, to you know, try to stop those comets from hitting the earth. Right. Right. So now I can relax and be in a world because I can fix it now, but I can't fix it unless I'm willing to accept the last one. And you might be that last one. So it's kind of like if I'm in an argument with Arthur, and Arthur's well, angry yeah, with happens every day. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> We're about to get into one right now. Okay. Um, so if he's feeling angry, uh -huh. okay, and I'm triggered by his anger, I have to accept in that moment that I might be abandoned, right? I have to be okay with someone being mad at me, correct? And I have to reteach my brain and nervous system that even if someone's <coughs> mad or angry, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to die. I don't have to create a stress hormone response that's fight, flight, freeze, or run, but I would have to practically in that moment sit still, breathe, and feel the feelings that is creating such an intense response in my body. Yes, and the first thing you could do is a reframe, though. Because if someone's angry, that one of the best reframes I found is when someone's angry at me, it doesn't mean I'm in trouble. It means they're in trouble. Because what is anger? The fight part of flight. So if they can't run, they must be experiencing intense, intense stress hormones. So they must be misunderstanding something I did, like this guy who was screaming at me one day in the car who wanted to kill me. And I, was in, I went to fight flight. And so I shook because I was in a gang fight when I was 13. And my, the guy ripped my face off pretty much, right? And so I sat in my car, because I almost got out of the car when he started yelling at me. And so I got out, I, I, <laughs> I had a little bit of brain cell left, like 10% of my brain cells were left, to say I'm either gonna die or, or go to jail today, right? So I, I got off the, the highway and I parked and I started shaking. What was happening was I was letting all that discharge that never really got discharged when I was 13 in a gang fight when I was surrounded by a whole bunch of people with baseball bats and mm. stuff. So I shook for about 45 minutes because it can't run, can't fight. So now the energy is saying, hey, I'm here if you need me, but you're not needed right now, so you can shake out. Now, mm. when I was done, 
I thought about the same situation. And you know what came to my mind now that was neutral? You'll send him a flower. <laughs> well, not that. I was going to find him. And I was just kidding. So, fucking thing so what, I, <laughs> what I realized in that moment was he was probably, why would he get so angry that I, I wasn't doing it on purpose? Mm. I wasn't going slow on purpose. There was no traffic. There was traffic in front of me. So I wasn't, so he was probably filtering everything through his perception, which he probably looked at the, my rearview mirror, saw my eyes, and he probably distorted that into his unprocessed experience of his brother going, I'm not going anywhere. Oh, you want to go? I'm disrespecting you. And it triggered such rage in him that that's the only reason you would be so angry that you have an assumption about my behavior. So then I thought, if that happened again, I could do one of two things. I was very comfortable. I thought I could do one of two things. I can say, oh, you, like, I, I know a little bit martial arts, like I can handle it. I could say, oh, do you want to, let's do that, it'd be fun. Mm -hmm. But I'm not that kind of guy, right? So it would, I would easily just say, did you think I was being a jerk? Did you think I was being a dickhead to you? I wasn't, I'm so sorry, did you think I was doing that on purpose? Mm. I love you, you know, you're good. And then I can have to accept that that might not be enough, and then I can defend myself. But then again, the problem's outside, not inside anymore. Right. But I knew that this worked. When I was walking down a trail, uh, hiking uh, in, in Malibu, and I was hanging out, and these four kids who looked like they were up to no good. They didn't look like hikers. They looked like they were like looking for trouble, right? And I walked past them, and I had not one emotional charge in my body of mm. discomfort. I, I, I was cautious. I was ready. I was uh, aware, but I was present. I wasn't filled with str uh, uh, extraneous or superfluous stress hormones. Mm. They would have showed up if I needed them, so I didn't, I didn't have to hold them. And that's what I realized the power, uh, well, many times I realized the power of this, is, is to understand that emotions are to be basically ignored. <laughs> because you're sp supposed to deal with the world. They're supposed to deal with the learnings and the insights. So when you juxtapose what is with what you would like, the emotions are trying to get you to what you would like. Sometimes it's just accepting you can't get it from this person or, or patience. And sometimes it's taking action to get closer to what you would like. That's what the emotions are. They're, they're the result of the contrast of the juxtaposition between what you would like and what is. Just like this pressure is the contrast between I can, I'd like to lift 100 pounds, well, it would be maybe 200 pounds, and I could only lift, let's say, 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. So the greater the contrast of what I would like and what is, the greater energy that has to change. In this case, a muscle has to grow. Calculus, brains have to, wiring has to happen with interpersonal relationships, new under, uh, interpersonal behaviors like pleasant, reasonable, compassionate behaviors need to show up in their wake. Mm -hmm. And that's what the emotions are for. They're trying to figure out how do, I how do I deal with people who are angry, upset, not caring about me? So I can accept what I can't do anything about and then change all the things I can. And there's so much more that you can change once you accept what you can't control. Does that make sense? It does. So did I go on? No, I mean, no, no, I, I have, there's a lot of questions looming. Um, and, and, and I speak for myself personally, I'm the type of person that's it's fight mode, right? So anytime that there's a challenge, uh, I usually accept it. Um, until I got to a place Unless where- Unless you're fighting with me. Right, then, then I you just surrender. Accept, I accept. Um, 
<laughs> for the longest time, I always realized that you know, it, it's 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 hard to get to a place of acceptance in the moment. It's very very yeah. difficult, right? Yeah. Whether you're fighting or f or flighting, right? right? It doesn't really matter. Um, so you know, from my own personal experience, I think that once I truly understand what the my real needs are in life right. and what was really important to me that's when I started shifting and changing my perspective on individual situations and interactions with others. But I had to go to a Tony Robbins uh, conference. I had to really you know, work on myself, really get to a place of my own higher belief system and, and, and dig deep. What are some tools that people can use in the moment? Let's say they can't afford to go to Tony Robbins. They can't afford a clinician, a therapist, a hypnotherapist to dig deep so that they can get to a place of acceptance in these fight or flight moments? It's a great question. Great question. I think the most important thing first to start off is reframing, which is to understand that your, your emotions are not the event. The event is a problem, mm -hmm. but your emotions are something else. They're trying to deal with the problem. So the first thing is the problem, right? The second thing is, once again, getting to the place that you're willing to accept what you can't control first, which simply means that I can't use fight-flight chemistry to fix this. So the chemistry has to leave and go somewhere else. And there's, there's three patterns. Acceptance. Some people just will, ne no matter what I do, it just won't be good enough. I'm willing to relax in that reality. Because if you can't relax, meaning go back to baseline, the brain will always think there's something to do that it can't do, like fighting comets, right? Once you get to that place of, I'm going to accept the fact that no one will ever <laughs> like me, and I'm alone in my body, but you know what? I'm no longer in a stress response because I'm no longer trying to stop it. You drop into the body, and that moment, you go into acceptance. Once you're in acceptance, meaning the nervous system no longer needs to do anything, then you recognize that you really have a, like you just said, you have a need outside. You want to get along with someone. So now that you're calm, you're realizing, I don't like this. <laughs> but you do, it's a preference, not an emotional reaction. So if I'm sitting here and I'm in an argument with you, yeah. and I look at you and I say, you're an asshole. Right. The reason why I've mastered that is because... I can do one of four things. First thing I do is feel the emotion come and go. Now you're still going to have the emotion, but I know what to do now. I've mastered this moment. But if you haven't mastered it, oh, I call in the you moment. an asshole. Okay. Joey, you're an asshole. How do you reframe in that moment? Recognizing that, first and foremost, the only reason I'm feeling an emotion is life's not matching what I would like. Mm. That's why you have the emotion. It's not matching what I would like. Because mm -hmm. if you were treating me well, I wouldn't have the negative emotion. Fair enough? But you would instantly feel attacked. Exactly. But you're not attacked. What I'm feeling is information of why this person isn't treating me so a certain way. So the reframe would be something like what? The reframe would be, what do I need to do to fix this? Not I'm being attacked. You're defending. So you think you're being attacked. Is there something I need to explain mm. and reassure? Do I need to have compassion? Do I need to apologize? Do I need to fix? But then, once again, I have to first and foremost accept the fact that you might have so much anger and resentment and displaced hurt that you have to project it onto someone who will take it. And that very fight that you're looking for will create the countertransference and keep the pattern. So if I don't give in to that countertransference and I see it as compassion 
And I apologize, and I'm clear. I become a mirror for you to look at yourself eventually, and you can't keep screaming at me if I'm not triggered. So practically... You will give it to someone else eventually. So practically, I've learned that the unconscious mind operates zero to five seconds faster than you're consciously aware of. So if I called you an asshole, you get triggered by that, would the first step to be to pause, to breathe, and send oxygen? Like, why is pausing so important before responding or reacting? Great, okay. So as you pause and you take a moment, as long as you, here's a great technique to do. It came from the Sedona method, uh, Les, um, Lester. Le oh my God, I've said his name. Led Zeppelin? Zeppelin? No, Lester uh, from the Sedona method, creator of the Sedona method. <laughs> um, anyway, what he does is help people to understand that as that's happening, the emotions you're feeling, they need to be moving, not being held. Mm. So the first thing you could do, you could do it right now. I'll give you an example. Think about something that triggers you. Mm. Just look at each other. You'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. Now, notice there's a constriction in your chest, throat, or stomach, right? Chest. Where's yours? I'm just thinking if Rachel making me laugh. I don't know. That's where my keeps going. I'll tell you, a okay. personal trigger is when I'm not acknowledged. So if <clears throat> I'm not being acknowledged, <clears throat> my chest tightens up. Now, my guess is since you're in some kind of relationship here with the, the studio here, right. and like as a business relationship, <clears throat> my guess is you your trigger is more about being in trouble or being blamed than being ignored. Uh Yes. Yeah, okay. And that's usually what comes together. That's why um, it's said oftentimes the, the borderline personality will always attract a narcissist because the hurt will always attract the shame because they're trying to work it out. Unconsciously. Unconsciously. And that's kind of like the law of attraction happening, right? In reverse. It's yeah, exactly. literally the law so of attraction. So we found out who's the narcissist in the relationship. I'm the narcissist. You're no, the narcissist. I'm the narcissist. Well, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> when it's Thanks, Joey. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. But you know what? It takes we a lot of We would love to have you back next time. <laughs> it takes a lot of balls for I a narcissist when it's, to admit they're narcissists. It's the extreme. My, yeah. But it's, it's speaking to what you were talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> now you're getting triggered. Now you're I'm looking bad. You look like a bad person. Where are you feeling that? Right. So here's a perfect example. Where do you feel that in your chest, throat, or stomach? Ooh, chest. Okay. So I want you to recognize the reason why you have pressure is because you're holding an emotion that never got to move, therefore you never got to learn. Fair enough? You never mastered the moment. You sure. with me? Okay. And you hold the emotion by doing three things. Tensing up your muscles. Notice you're both tense. And holding your breath. Notice you're holding your breath. Yes. That's how you keep the pattern. And you'll see it in heart rate variability. You'll see the pattern of the emotion of how that heart beats because of how you're holding your breath. Right? Wow. Okay. Well, what would be the benefit for an animal to hold their breath? Why would we hold That's their the whole thing. They don't have the inhibitory process like we do. Mm. Free will to. You watch a dog. <laughs> they're breathing. They're, you don't see a dog going, I'm going to hold my breath. Is, are they going to leave? Right, they're just right. completely present with the experience. <laughs> Right, but it's, it, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's like so fascinating, right? Because you, it, it's so difficult to identify in the conscious mind what is creating this behavior until you do some deep, deep work. But right? not necessarily because it's right there. It's right there when you're holding your breath, you're tensing your muscles, and the third thing we do is we give it a meaning. So you want to reverse the process. Okay. You want to you want to say to yourself, whatever is happening, not the external. External problems are problems. We're not devaluing anything from right. the external world. They are right. problems. But we're talking about your emotions. 
right? Unless you fight or run for the situation, you don't need them, right? So <clears throat> it would be good in the moment to say, so sorry to interrupt you, but yep. like, I'm scared in this moment. Yeah, that's a label, but you want to label what fear is. I have heartbeat fast. My heartbeat is, fast, is, is beating fast. I have tension here. So the, the three steps are, first, the first step is to realize you're just processing something you never processed called being in trouble or being neglected, mm. right? Okay, that's the first thing. One is shame yes. and guilt. One is hurt and sadness. Love being neglected. Okay, good. So that's the first thing. <laughs> then you realize the only reason you're having intense emotions around it is because you never mastered it. So you don't know how to accept it or fix it or do something about it, make it better, right? right. And so the body's still screaming, do we run or fight? So the way, the way it was repressed is that we didn't have the ability to bend with, to deal with it and breathe through it and learn. We didn't have it. It was too much, too fast, too soon, too loud, too unfamiliar, mm -hmm. right? So we want to reverse the process right there. So the first thing to do is imagine that place on your chest and now open the door, your back, respective area in the back in your chest, and imagine the emotions are leaving because that's what they're supposed to do. They're not the problem. They're trying to figure out the problem. If you can't run, they have to leave. But So th basically what they're doing, my idea, what I believe is happening is the blood's going up to the frontal lobes in this case So because it's not needed in the arms or legs. So keep the door open. I want you to sh show you how you actually create the problem by saying no to the emotion. Ready? But keep the door open first. Keep saying yes to it as just a, a moment being processed. Don't give it a meaning. Breathe, Arthur. Don't hold your breath. And just hang out there for a second. You see that? That moment, just hang out there for a second. Now, close the door. Slam the door shut. You feel that pressure building? Mm -hmm. That's you not being OK to process the moment. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to react to the moment rather than deal and respond to the moment. Mm -hmm. So open the door again. Good. What A really good way when you're really suffering is Double down on the door closing. Close the door, touch your muscles, make a fist, face. Come on, really get it. Really squeeze it back in, squeeze it back in, squeeze it back into your cells. This is what we're doing. We're just exaggerating how ridiculous it is. Right. Now let go. It's a bio, it's an EMG tech, uh, technique for biofeedback, which is you're releasing the tension by exaggerating it and then releasing it again. Now, as the energy is flowing, Recognize the only reason this is a problem, because you didn't need to run a fight, so you don't need all that extraneous and superfluous stress hormones, right? Mm -hmm. The only reason it's a problem is because life's not matching what you would like. Mm -hmm. Now, so a part of you would have to start thinking about what you would like, or at least have a sense of it. Now, as you're tuning into that, ask yourself, what can I do to get closer to that? So now you're not in a defense, which looks like an attack to the other person. Does that make sense? And then actions will show up, either patients waiting to be hearing them, then maybe responding, wow, I didn't know that. That must have been difficult. What is that person going to do? Oh, they heard me. Yeah. Right. I'm really sorry. I didn't think of it that way. I mean, I can make excuses, and I have excuses for why I did that, but it must have been, wow, I didn't realize that. You're important to me. And then all of a sudden, you're now creating behavior to master a moment called someone's mad at me for some reason I don't know what it is. And it's okay. And it's okay because I can die. fix it now or accept it that after I do all that, the person's still screaming, then I took care of my side of the street. Well, I love the fact that you said that it's identifying, not, not labeling the way you feel, but identifying what you do in that feeling, right? So like I clench my, my jaw and my teeth start, you know, I, my breath starts kind of dissipating away. And so it's, 
as you were talking, I'm identifying all the things that I'm doing in the moment. That really helped me kind of create some clarity on how to get away from that yeah. and how to help myself regulate those situations. So what you're also saying is that empathy can be created over time, right? Because now you're creating an, an empathic human being yeah. to be aware and be present and be willing to right. hear or listen yeah. to what the other person is saying right. for, for, for somebody who might not have been in that state. Right. Well, how could you have empathy if you're being attacked? Right. But if you're no longer attacked, you can see that someone else is suffering. So it's easy to say that if two people are arguing, both could be aware that they're both in a stress response. They're mm. both feeling in some way attacked. And so the goal can be, how do I create safety in this moment? And I think what works for me is me being able to identify how I'm feeling in that moment and not attacking you. So if you said something that I felt angry about, it's I'm feeling really angry in this moment. I'm feeling really embarrassed. I'm feeling really nervous about the way that you spoke to me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called emotional intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, you know. Or a so complainer. <laughs> <laughs> Wiped out the entire conversation. <laughs> complains all the time. But, I, but something that I very much have learned from you, Joey, is you get excited when these emotions come up because the goal is to discharge them from the body because what happens if you would discharge them from the body? Your body is is free. You're no longer in an unconscious survival response. Mm. You now have this energy freed up in your body for creativity, for fun, for joy, because you're not in this uh, fight-flight-freeze mode. I, I love that because I feel like people, and I get this in my groups all the time, a lot of people think that emotions are bad. If they feel their feelings, they're going to die. Why is it important to feel your feelings? Um, for that very reason, to recognize the feelings are not the event. They're trying to figure out from you what to do with the event. And all they need for you to do, us to do, conscious mind, that's to say, right? The emotions are part of the body and the system and the subconscious mind. All the subconscious mind is asking, what is going on and what would you like instead, right? Mm -hmm. If we are just saying, I would like this to not be here, then it says, okay, let's try and fix it, fight flight especially if it's a threatened experience. So the reason you want to feel your feelings, see, the, what happens is people either hold on to their emotions, right, as a some kind of defense mechanism, mm -hmm. or they dissociate from their emotions. Mm -hmm. And, and why is disassociating important? Well, it's a defense mechanism because the emotions are too, too intense to feel, so right. we live up here yeah. in conceptualization, spiritual defenses, or just not being present in our, in our experience. So we don't have to feel the intensity in the body. But some people, are so those are more compulsive people. People are in their bodies and can't escape mm -hmm. are more impulsive people. Like they're just, they need to change their world to be comfortable. And both are just trying to run from the river of emotion. And one of the things I like to do is when I'm, I, you bring up the triggering stimulus, mm -hmm. the person who's insulting me, what I, it's, I, after opening the doors, I say, does this moment have a right to be? I didn't say you like it. I didn't say you wouldn't want to change it. But does the existence have a right to be? Mm -hmm. That's the first time they've ever even considered processing a moment. Because once you say it doesn't have a right to be, guess what takes precedence in the subconscious mind? That stimulus, that memory, that creates your experience over and over again. So we're trying to process an impermanent moment that you said didn't have a right to be. We want it to be impermanent, not permanent. So does it have a right to exist, which is moving anyway? Good. Does your body have a right to process it fully mm -hmm. without tension, without holding your breath, without giving a meaning forever and ever like a river? 
until it's neutralized, and you can then walk towards what you would like to be, and that's called mastering right. that moment. I want to kind of shift it in a sense, because I feel like we, we live in a very reactive world, right, <laughs> where there's a problem, then we react to it. Yeah, there's a problem. There's a <laughs> I'm reactive I'm world. Accepting yeah. it. We'll get I'm security in here, here right away. My back is flaring right now. Um, I hear you. Your back is flaring right now. Thank you. It's not flaring anymore. Um, <laughs> that was good. That was helpful. Um, I know that Rachel and I practice this um, in our own lives, but from a proactive approach uh, for parents with children and giving space and room for children to express their emotions and how they feel. And, 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 and I, and I want to eliminate, well, they're too young. Or they're, you know. Can you go into that? Uh, because I feel like that's huge. I feel like as adults, it's very, it's not impossible. It's difficult. It obviously takes yeah. more time and patience to get to that place in your life. But I feel like if you start from a very young age, it, it becomes easier. It yeah. becomes practice in real life as you get older. Yeah. Can you go into that? Uh, yeah, I'm writing a book okay. uh, on how I basically unfucked up my children. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I'm kind of writing a book of how I changed my relationship with my kids. Right. And what I realized is, um, th once again, people confuse a problem with the emotion. For example, parents either have boundaries that are terse and cold because they think they're being good parents because they're not going to let that child run around crazy and obey the rules, or they think love is not having any boundaries. Mm -hmm. And then only when that child really destroys the house is there a boundary, and the boundary is now given through a reactive screaming. So in that situation, the child learns this is where procrastination kicks in and the younger, uh, older, uh, when they get older, which is they have learned that they don't have to do anything they don't want to do unless someone's going to scream at them. That's why we have all these accountability groups because you're afraid that someone's going to be mad at you. So then you show up because your nervous system has learned you don't want to get uncomfortable at all unless someone's screaming at you and there's a problem. It's Sunday night, your paper's due Monday morning. Now we really have to do something. But until then, I don't do right. it. Or you have a parent that understands how detrimental that is to a child and says, no, we're going we're gonna to have discipline in this house. Right. You're going to do your homework. What? I said do your homework. Yeah. Because they think they have to be cold because they don't want the child to be uncomfortable. So they feel uncomfortable. So they think they have to be angry with that child. Right? And I, I want to interrupt you because the parents say this all the time. I'm doing it for their own good. Exactly. <laughs> I'm keeping a boundary. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna be. They're gonna be thankful for me when they yeah. grow up. Yeah, and that child might have discipline, but their discipline will always have a connection to stress hormones, shame, or fear. Right. Rather than, I love you. I know you want to play. It's perfectly okay. But this is what we're gonna do now. But Tom Sawyer, we're gonna have fun. It's only gonna be ten minutes, successive incremental learnings, mm -hmm. and we're gonna get a reward for it. But this is what we do. Just like brushing your teeth. Just like putting your clothes. On what do, what happens when you're a child? You want to run out of the house without without any clothes, right? What do your parents do? They don't really shame you, really. They just keep grabbing you and putting your clothes on. You start to get the message. Mm. That's a boundary. You can't go out of the house without clothes. You can't go to sleep without without. You can't go to sleep without brushing your teeth. That's a boundary, a structural boundary that there's no option. So you might as well acquiesce to it. That's different from learning with shame and fear, because if you learn shame and fear, you never mastered the boundary. You're just reacting to the possibility of being yelled at. So if there's no parent to yell at you that there's no bed being made, mm 
And this is what I did with my son, by the way, years ago. I noticed he wasn't making his bed, right? And he was walking out. I said, hey, Mike, how come you're not making And he jumped as if I was going to get upset at him. I said, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to make my bed. I said, no, no, no. Then you're, I'm teaching you to only make your bed if someone's upset at you. I said, I'm going to give you two options. Ready? I said, this is what I'd like you to do. I want you to think about a clean bed, like a barrack, really clean and neat. Mm -hmm. And I want you to just think about that, how much you love that. And then just look at the bed as it is and see what happens to your body. Or I want you to tell your brain that you're in charge of your life and it doesn't want to make the bed. And you say, well, we're going to make it anyway. That's nice. And like that idea that when your brain doesn't want to do something, you're going to make it anyway and you're going to have that relationship. I'm the boss. Either one you choose. Right? Two weeks go by. I realized he made the bed. And, I, and he wasn't looking to see. He didn't come over to me and say, look, I made the bed. He wasn't afraid of me. And I said, hey, I noticed you've been making the bed. And he said, yeah. I said, why? He said, because what you told me. I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to bring conscious awareness to the unconscious pattern that's working. Mm. So it was one of those two things. He learned how to either visualize that something he liked and then want it, to creating dopamine, to want what you already enjoyed, mm -hmm. which is real motivation. Mm -hmm. Or what's called like what I like to call muscle motivation for the left hemisphere, which is the I will part of the body. Like, I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. Very Tony Robbins, mm -hmm. I'm going to the ice bath. Very Joe Rogan, I'm just going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. I never wanted motivation is nonsense. I'm just going to do it. So there's a lot to be said for that. But Tyson said it a little differently. Tyson said, motivation is doing what I don't want to do and behaving as if I love it or like it. So the, it splits the difference. It's saying, we're going to do it anyway, but you know what? We'll find the fun in it. Take it or leave it. We're going to find the fun in it. So there's a way to split that difference. But mm -hmm. this can be a muscle in itself in the sense that you can just say, practice. I'm going to do something anyway, even though I don't want to do it. And that becomes a muscle. And then your brain stops trying to fight you. Or you could do it more in a gentle way, but still has to have that firmness that take it or leave it. But you can do it incrementally successively, you can reward yourself for it and build on it every day so it's not a shock to the system. I love that you you correlated something that might not be fun or exciting for somebody and how helped your son envision how positive the feeling would be if it was in that situation, right, with the bed. Um, just as a small example, my, my daughter's uh, teacher asked us to help her in practicing kind of the beginnings and endings of words and, and the enunciation of them. And she said it in a way where have fun with it. Put it in a fun environment, right? Because it's, it's not a fun thing to do necessarily, but if you put it in a fun environment, she'll attribute that experience mm -hmm. as fun. Right. So the key to take out of all of this is whenever there's something that in your mind might not be fun, how can you as a parent create it as being a right. fun situation? Exactly. Find what, one of my books, it's you know, finding the joy in the experience sure. and finding how to play because the mammal's adaptation is connection and play. Right. That's why animals fight each other. They look like they're killing each other, but they're not because they're learning how to defend themselves through play, right? So if you could teach a child that play is how you learn, but you keep the boundaries because sometimes they don't feel like transitioning from one thing to another. But if you transition incrementally, successively, and you keep that play feeling and you direct it into something else, they'll be happy about it. Right. Okay, I'm going to pivot now because we have a little bit of time left, and I really want you to talk about this. You went, so you, Arthur, yes. went to a Tony Robbins seminar. Oh, I did. Okay. And one of the things that you did was 
Mm. When you get, so when you came back, mm-hmm. I immediately noticed mm-hmm. a different Arthur. Mm-hmm. Your your spirit was brighter. Your energy was bigger. You were more present, mm-hmm. and you were just like super excited about life. Mm-hmm. Joey, yes. In talking about emotional state and peak state, how do you maintain that elevated emotion? in the face of adversity, in the face of tragedy? Why is it so important to learn how to maintain emotional state? Well, I want to ask you a question first. Did that sure. wane? Did that state wane? It did. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just it did in, in the awareness of it that it did, but the connection to that initial feeling is still there. Mm. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 difficult when life throws real things at you. Yeah. So there's two aspects to this. One is logistics. It's just simply practicing, making decision to practice. Now, yeah. if you're going to, if the brain remembers to get to that state, it's a lot of work. Right. It may kind of throw you a curveball in the morning. I'll practice later, right? Right. But if you give yourself just a taste of it. Right. And oftentimes, there's a lot of dopamine, excitement, motivation state. And what's a better state, to my mind, to my experience, is more appreciation state, which creates its own excitement and dopamine. Mm -hmm. By by being happy inside, the body wants to do something outside. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, at least for me, that portion of my experience with that conference stayed. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was my appreciation for my family and my daughter and my wife mm-hmm. and that definitely stayed. So if it stayed, it's automated, right? right? Okay. So what the reason why it, the first reason I was mentioning is it's just habit and building incrementally success and, and sure. building. But what will happen is all these parts of ourselves that we've dissociated from, mm-hmm. when they start to feel this, ha- imagine like this is a cell, right? Mm-hmm. And it's holding sadness or hurt or memory pattern. And now we're, the other cells are feeling great, and we're really getting into it. It starts moving into deeper parts of our being, right? So mm-hmm. let's say it's moving into the cell. The cell's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've been holding this. That means we have to feel this, which means the movement of this and allowing it to move if you're going to let this in. So when it touches on that, the emotions start coming up. If we are not aware of that, mm-hmm. that the negative emotions are coming up to integrate into this positive, the brain will hijack us and protect us because it's just like a nightmare protects us because we don't want to feel that emotion that wakes us up. And mm-hmm. that's what you're doing in a, in a, when you're processing a dream, you're feeling and processing the emotion. So it wakes us up. It's the same thing with these unprocessed feelings of sadness. They start to come to the surface. That's why in recovery, when someone's you know, meditating every day, as soon as they stop meditating, especially if they've been doing for three months, mm-hmm. to my mind, it's because because habits persist usually, right? So if someone's doing something for three months and suddenly they're not doing it anymore, it's because that, in in my mind, to my mind, it's because that part of the being that they've dissociated from Mm -hmm. starts coming up as a default because it has to be experienced Mm -hmm. because you're now being more present in the feelings in the body, so you have to be more present to this. Well, this is stuck by holding your breath, tensing your muscles, dissociating from it, right? Now it starts to come up. If we don't say, oh, yay, more to move through, integrate so I can even be happier or greater state, it's going to hijack us. And then it's going to want expression by unconsciously triggering something in the world. And then suddenly it just went away. 
didn't go away. It came up to be integrated. So what you're saying is that it has to be a part of you. It has to live a fluidity. It, it has to be able to move around. It can't just be stuck. Exactly. Right. Because, I, I mean, do you believe in Makes this definition that emotion is energy in motion? Yeah, that's why it's supposed to move. So right. when it's coming up in your body, for those listening, invite it, welcome it. Mm -hmm. Don't immediately shut it down. Don't look outside of you to try and change it. Allow it to go uh, go through your body and, and and move it. And and I think one of the ways to allow that is not to shame yourself for the emotion, and not to tell yourself some this is bad because it's happening. Get excited that this is coming up, and really learn how to just be with the feeling. If that means cry, let yourself cry. If that means you know, in the moment, like journaling or squeezing or tensing your muscles and then releasing it, like Joey said, then do that. Sometimes what I do when I'm feeling really angry is like I did this morning. I went into the car and I just screamed in the car and I let the emotion out or I'll go to a rage room and I'll beat the shit out of a punching bag. And I have ways to express the emotion, not suppress it or repress it. Um, is my face on that punching bag? It is. Oh, nice. Yes, it is. Actually, and when I go to the axe place I'm gonna oh nice yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I do wanna I I agree with you a hundred percent I had a situation myself yesterday last night for so one of the things for me that I've had to work on is is giving up control and and letting go and entrusting others uh, especially when it comes to business and money and you know um, and I had a situation where I, 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 I'm trying to let go of things. I'm trying to delegate. I'm trying to just give the responsibility and trust in others, right? Uh, but that was tested yesterday. And my typically, my instant reaction is to solve the problem, right? Go in, fight, figure it out. Yesterday, I did that slightly, but I recognized it. So I went for a run. So for me, it was a run. I, I don't, yes, thank uh. you. And, I came back and I made the phone call and I had a conversation with that person and immediately said, you know what, I apologize. It's gonna take me time for me to get to a better place where I know I can feel comfortable with this. I'm working on it and just give me the time that I need to get to that place. So, you know, it, it's, you're right. It, it's finding a channel so that you can be present and letting that energy flow because it's gonna live there. It's gonna- But that's the key. Right. If you're trying to get rid of the emotion by jogging, you got a cross addiction. Because mm. you will get rid of the emotion, you'll stress the system, and it'll relax, and it'll feel like the problem went away. But that's going to create a cross addiction every time the emotion comes up. It says the solution is not being with it, and processing it, ignoring it, and paying attention to what you need. Right. The solution is running or exercising, and that's what creates a cross addiction to the coping, which is, don't get me wrong, it's better than <laughs> repressing it or screaming or hurting somebody. Right. But if the intent in the brain is to get away from the sensation 100%, it's on a continuum, the exercise will help process it and your breathing, especially if you're feeling the emotions at, at, while you're exercising, it's mm -hmm. a different story. But if you exercise just to run from the emotion, then every time you feel that discomfort, you have to run. And so you never process that part that's trying to be integrated. That's that's important that you said that because I actually so when I run, I process. Mm -hmm. I there actually I, I I'm running, I look down and I'm thinking of the scenario that I was just in and I'm thinking of all the ways I can I can deal that's with key. it. That's key. Yeah, that's a key. So point. I love that you You're not that ruminating or perseverating your process. I love that yeah. you said that because that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. I'm digesting <laughs> <laughs> everything that was said. One last thing I want to ask you. 
two two last things and then we do have to end. Are we unconsciously creating our reality or consciously choosing our reality? Depends. If you're conscious and you're consciously choosing, if you're unconscious, you're an automated machine. So essentially, and I bring this up because I really feel like people have no idea how powerful they really, really are. Because when I woke up to that information, that I'm either, I'm so powerful that I'm creating what I don't want, or I'm so powerful that I'm creating exactly what I want. And that's why emotion is so important, because if I don't know how to feel it, express it, it's running my life and I'm going to create everything that I don't want. Or if I can channel it in the way that I do want, I can focus my energy and intentionally create absolutely everything on my heart, right? I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's not easy, but the, the, you, you, that sentence says it all, which is, creating everything I don't want versus everything I do want. Now, the reason we don't want it, and the reason we keep creating what we don't want, is because we misunderstood the difference between not wanting something and not processing our emotional experience around not wanting it. Mm. Once you neutralize it, it doesn't mean you like it. Like, I could be neutral right now. Like some, I was in a group one time teaching a, a workshop, and um, someone said, what do you mean we're supposed to be okay? I'm supposed to be okay? with my husband cheating on me, I said, well, no, you're, not, you're supposed to feel the emotions and then be okay, and then deal with it. Well, if I'm, a, if I'm comfortable, then I'm gonna be okay with it. I said, I'm very comfortable right now. If you were rude to me, <laughs> I would ask you to leave. I, I don't have negative emotion around it because I know what to do with it. You're in pain. I don't like the behavior, but you're not creating emotions in me. I'm good. I don't like your behavior. I wanna fix it. I wanna apologize for it. I wanna see what I can do. I wanna even have compassion. But I can still say, oh, you can't disrupt this group. We're, we're, I can still do that easily. So what? where did you get the idea that you have to be angry to keep a boundary, that you have to not re like have an emotional reaction to take action? You have the emotional reaction to tell you there's action to be taken or something to be accepted. But once it leaves, then you either accept it or take action. And when it doesn't leave, it creates a complaining, perseverating, ruminating pattern that makes us feel we're doing something about it, but it just stays in the system as the memory regurgitating itself. It's and the energy pattern that's regurgitating itself. So if you don't deal with the energy, it's going to recreate itself in your life. Yes. I have a recording on my website that is it's called Successive Desensitization. It's, it was downloaded to me. I'm not going to get into what downloaded it, but it's Nothing short of magic if it's done a hundred percent, which is Zeus gave you the information. Zeus gave it to me, <laughs> right? So, so it, it, it came to me one day when I was I I wanted something, but every time when you really want something, as the Buddhists call the attachment desire, that's painful. It's usually out of reach. That's why you want it. Mm -hmm. And the thing that usually presents itself, the pattern, is the opposite, which is why you want it because you can't accept the rejection. That's why you want connection. You can't accept the attack. That's why you want to be praised. Right, mm -hmm. you can't accept the the disappointment. That's why you want the guarantee, right? So you stay with the first, the the most intense emotion, providing it's not traumatizing, right? And it's just a real disappointment or something you haven't learned to accept. If it's trauma, you really need to go to somatic, you know, EMDR expert or a brain spotting person, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's 
intense emotion, you stay with this emotion until this becomes as neutral as the, the, the coffee cup. Then you freeze it, and then you make it 10% better. And then you freeze that, make it 10%. Now you, the, your attention is where? Over there. But it's still here because this is the closest. But you put a light in that one. Now where's your attention? If these are all neutralized, even though that's far, further away, where would your attention go? To the light. Right. So now you start breathing in the light into your chest as if there's light from that going right into your chest. And these start to smash, and that starts to get closer. Mm -hmm. So you internalize what you want. So now you can want it outside because you have it inside, rather than what the Buddhists call attachment and aversion. I have an aversion to this, so it gives me attachment to that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you, di you, you desensitize through processing, experiencing, accepting this. And I'll, I'll leave you with the last metaphor that's perfect for this analogy. Right. So let's say we're at a party. And we're at a big wedding or something. And there are a lot of people in between us. And we see each other. We see each other across the room. And we want to get there. That's a challenge, right? It's a lot life. I want to get there. Right. And there are people with champagne glasses, other people dancing, people with food. And we have to kind of negotiate that. And we do easily. And we see each other and say hi. Now, that's what this represents. These should just be, in life, the challenges should just feel like that. Things they have to overcome and get there physically. Right. When it's emotional, this is what it feels like. We're at the same wedding. I'm about to say hi to you. You're about to say hi to me. But right in front of you, about five feet, is someone who hates your guts and is very dangerous. <laughs> and they don't see you yet. Five feet away from him, there's somebody who knows a secret that you're really shameful about. Right. Five feet around that, you know, from that person, there's another person who hurt you and betrayed you. Might you say, I really want to see Joe. But you know what? Text me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's what happens. That's why we stop moving towards our goals, because we never mastered that moment to neutralize, learn how to deal with it, accept it, or overcome it. And so get stuck in our subconscious. I like how Joe Dispenza puts it beautifully. It's like your, hi your hippocampus takes a snapshot of that important, unresolved experience. So beautifully said. And it stays in the nervous system. And you're always trying to get something to get rid of this nervous system experience. No, it doesn't go away from changing your experience. It goes away by processing and then changing this experience by overcoming it. I hope that makes sense. Is that, uh, no? Uh, Beautiful. Yeah. Really? It made no, sense? That was perfect. Oh, okay. yeah. Now I'm going into my parasympathetic <laughs> nervous system right now, and I need to rest and digest. Uh, we ask all of our guests one question at the very end, which uh -oh. is if you I don't know. had to I have tell. No idea. Stop interrupting me. I'm getting activated and triggered right now. I'm going to apologize. Okay. Thank you so much. And recognize that there's nothing I can Let do Let me ever talk. <laughs> if you had to tell, if you had to tell young Joey. Hey, hey, don't Joey. If you had to tell Joey one thing when he was younger, 15 years ago, what would you say? Say, Joey, how you doing, all right? Hey, <laughs> don't Joey. 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 I would say to him, don't show up to that street corner with 25 guys with baseball bats just because someone said ne never run and don't be afraid. Aww. No, I'm just kidding. No, that, that's, that's a good thing to tell him. I probably would say that, but I would say to him, to create anything in your life, you have to only put your awareness on the thing you want. The feeling of that wish fulfilled, as Neville Goddard, Neville Goddard puts it, right? And see everything as a challenge to get through so you get closer to it. Mm. So recognize your state creates, that's it, that your state creates your life Life doesn't trigger state. Mm. Mm. Love it. 
so good. Well, and don't show up to that street corner. Yeah, don't show up guys there. With baseball bats. <laughs> and learned karate before that. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Got Mental Health. If you haven't already, please go and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Please rate, review, and we really appreciate all of your feedback. And can't wait to see you guys next week. Thank you, episode. everyone. Thanks. Enjoy. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Yay! Thank you.